We believe running is freedom and empowerment. We believe running solves problems and makes people happy. We even believe that if more people run, the world will be a better place. We believe in running because it is our passion. This is the Big Peach Running Company Run ATL Podcast with your host, Mike Cosentino. Greetings, everyone. This is the Run ATL Podcast. My name is Mike Cosentino, and this is my happy time. I hope the same is true for you. One of the things that makes me happy is my ability to introduce my good friend and yours, Dolomite Dave Martinez. D2, you join us once again. Yes, and I am so happy to be here. I'm so happy that uh, you know that, uh, we've sprung forward. We have. In fact, one of the things that I think should make all of our listeners happy, spring has sprung. In our lavish, very lavish studios, we can see the sun outside bright. When we shut the door from the balcony, it was because the birds were singing and chirping and we did not want that as the background noise. But there are some events that are coming up as well that are also good reminders that spring is almost here. Yes, that's right. So spring break, we're uh, going to be about a month away at this point from our trail adventures up in Blue Ridge, Georgia. That's exactly right. And we've talked a lot about it. We'll put the link again in the show notes. But what everybody should really know, what would not make them happy is if they miss the price that is currently in place. It does go up after spring has come and we get into the last 30 days. So here is the last reminder that we'll do. Sign up before you get to midnight on March 20th. You will save $50 on your registration. Don't forget about the generosity that D2 and I have extended all of our listeners a $75 Big Peach Running Company gift card. That's an additional $25 if you just mention the podcast when you register. Also D2. We're a little bit ahead of being able to say this, but congratulations to all of those who have done what? Run the uh, Publix Georgia Half Marathon and Marathon. That's exactly right. So we are taping in advance of that race, but when this is released, it will be 24 hours after that finish line has come down. Many of you we know are towing the line. Many of you we know will see and cross the finish line. Congratulations to all of you, especially if we did not see you out there, know that we were thinking about you and we were hoping for a quality race for you that you'll remember for a long, long time. So this is the unofficial spring edition of the Run ATL podcast, and we have celebrity appeal to show for it today, D2. We have Amy and Andrew Begley. That's right. We'll go through their credentials when we have them in studio. We also have one of our own, professional runner, elite athlete, and Big Peach Running Company team member, Megan Malasarte. This is going to be good fun for sure. Yeah, and they've got, like I said, you know, an impressive resume. And it's, it's, it's interesting because I've, I've met Megan before, but I've never you know, kind of considered her as a professional athlete, even though that's what she is. That's not how I, I picture her. Well, and I think one of the combinations that we oftentimes hear is so powerful, and she, re- she just represents it. Hungry and humble. She is hungry. She is doing some really, really cool things in her running career, and yet she's just super humble. Whether she's in one of our stores, whether she's at an event and interacting with the public, and certainly you're reflecting that in your previous interaction with her. We will have fun with Megan. We'll also have Andrew and Amy Begley, her coaches. We're going to get into that special relationship that should exist 
between athletes and their coaches, coaches and their athletes. And we'll get into that, give you plenty of tips to think about, not just if you are someone trying to get the most out of your running routine, but you will hear great content that will have application to almost every aspect of your life as you hear what coaching and realizing your potential is all about right after this quick break. Do you hear that? The trails are calling and you must go. You're invited to join the Big Peach Running Company crew for an all-inclusive weekend getaway in Blue Ridge, Georgia. Experience two days of trail running in the beautiful North Georgia mountains. Not a runner? That's okay. Hikers and outdoor enthusiasts are also welcome. Experience a relaxing weekend full of trails, award-winning food, and luxurious accommodations. Start the weekend off enjoying a few craft brews at Fannin Brewing. After a day on the trails, we'll recover at Sarenberry Vineyards where you'll be able to sample some of Georgia's finest wines. We'll finish off the evening at Charlie Creek Farms with some barbecue and drinks under the stars. Don't miss out on an incredible trailcation you won't soon forget. Come on out, enjoy the trails, we'll take care of the rest. Visit BigPeachRunningCode.com to sign up. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast and what is an episode D2 that I know will be very exciting and humbling for both you and me. We are joined now by Amy and Andrew Begley and Megan Malasarte. Amy, right here to my right, was the first ever D2, I don't even know if you knew this, the first ever full-time coach at the Atlanta Track Club. She still performs that role. We've had the good fortune of working with her now for the last few years, and she's overseeing all of the curriculum, all of the assistant coaches, the mentors, and I'm sure, Amy, countless details that are associated with all of the training programs that are offered these days at the Atlanta Track Club. I know that includes what's going on with the AJC Peachtree Road Race. I know there are training programs for both half and full marathon efforts, and you have the good fortune of working with athletes of every single ability. She may tell you all of this on her own, but also check this out with her as an athlete. She is an Olympian from 2008 in the Summer Games at the 10,000 meters distance. She's also a, get this, national champion at both the 5K and the 15K distance. She is a two-time, not once, but two-time NCAA champion from the University of Arkansas. And for all of us as parents, we love when we hear this about someone. She is a 15-time All-American. She coached previously at the University of Connecticut, and she's even founded and coached her own elite women's program in Portland, Oregon, before our great city had the good fortune of bringing her our way in 2014. But she is not here by herself, alongside her, her husband, Andrew. He is certainly no less impressive. He is now with the Atlanta Track Club as well. His focus is on the elite athlete program. Prior to Andrew's arrival here in Atlanta, he was also, as an athlete, an Olympic trials qualifier at 10,000 meters. He is a three-time All-American D2. My guess is there is some history for them because that was at the University of Arkansas as well, where he helped put that program on the map. Nine NCAA championships, 12 
SEC championships during his time in Fayetteville, including, Andrew, the 5,000-meter title at the 2000 SEC championships. I know now you are committed full-time to coaching. You have coached state champions. I thought this was fascinating. Three different states. You've coached state champions at the high school level. You've coached NCAA athletes who, of course, have captured conference and regional championships. And now you are coaching professional athletes, some who have qualified for the national championships. This is an impressive couple. But maybe my favorite. Did I save the best for last? I'm somewhat biased here with Megan Malasarte. She is part of our team. And Megan is one of the athletes that Andrew has a real good fortune to be able to coach. And that is where she comes from the University of Georgia. Go Bulldogs. A lot of people out there perhaps ready to hear about a Bulldog and not just the Razorbacks. She right now, part of that elite team, when she was in Athens, she had the school record, both the indoors and outdoors for the 800 meter. She was a conference finalist at the SEC indoor and outdoor championships. And now, now as a professional athlete, she has been a semi-finalist in the USA Track and Field Championships and a bronze medalist from the USA Track and Field Indoor Championships at the 600-meter event. D2, we have not just pulled some people off the street to talk with us this afternoon. No, that's a pretty impressive resume from everyone. It is incredibly impressive, and yet this will not be a broadcast that suggests, well, here's everything that you need to know to be Megan or to be an Olympian. We are going to take a, a slightly different tact, and we are going to draw out what I think is an important relationship, and that is coach and athlete, coaches and athletes. And we're going to talk about the nuances and the complexities, maybe the possibilities and the pitfalls, the highs and the lows that really come from every coach and athlete relationship. We have a lot of listeners, of course, who might just be getting started with that run-walk routine, maybe getting into what we call a pedestrian active lifestyle for the first time. And then we have Megan, who now is such an accomplished athlete and working with the two of you every single day. So Amy, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to kick this off with you. And the reason I want to do so is you, of course, have so many different athletes that come in to your sphere every single season. And when you think about all these people that you have a chance to maybe influence or impact in a certain way, and yet you were an athlete, you were a high-performing athlete, NCAA, Olympian, plenty of things to celebrate on the podium yourself. How does someone take that type of elite background and then transition into sharing it with others as effectively as you do? I think you have to want to help people achieve their goals and you have to understand that everybody comes with a different journey. Everyone starts running for a different reason, whether it's um, the kids are out of the house, whether it's weight loss, uh, you know, whether it's coming back from cancer or, um, you know, a spouse, a divorce, everyone has a reason they're there and you have to find the reason uh, to help them get through that journey and you have to figure out their goals. And if they don't have goals, they're not going to stick with the program. So you have to find first the reason they're there and then second the goals. Everybody has goals that they can accomplish, whether it's going and walking their first mile, whether it's going from a walk run to a run. You know, we have in training for Peachtree and the 10K is a huge thing for people to accomplish. Um, and that's one of the fun parts about my job is help people accomplish 
all sorts of goals, whether it's the first mile or the first 10K. Well, you know what's so sweet to hear that is you immediately say, you've got to get to know who the athletes are, who you are going to be coaching. You need to find out what their goals are. It'd be easy to walk into a room when you're an Olympian and say, hey, here I am. I'm a 2008 Olympian. I have all these national titles and these championships to talk about on my own accord. But it sounds like you're very intentional about getting to know them first and determining what it is that you can do for them. Yeah, because you can't just give a program to somebody and say, here's your 10-week program for Peachtree because you don't know how many days they've been running. You don't know if they're running or walking, so you have to figure out where they're starting because one program, whether it's the elite level or the recreational level or beginner, one program is not going to work for everybody. So we set up our programs to be flexible so it can accommodate people at all levels. Well, I think it's really easy, and I know we have people in our organization and certainly in this community who have achieved some success in their running or whatever it is that they do really, really well, and they assume that that gives them the credibility then to coach. And it sounds like you figured out that, sure, that makes for a nice foundation, but at the end of the day, it needs to be about those athletes and those who you are instructing, not about what you've maybe done in the past or the accomplishments that you've had. And I think Andrew used to say that all the time when we first started coaching is, you know, it's not about you. And when you're an elite athlete, it has to be all about you. You have to be very, you know, self-motivated and it all has to be about what you want to do. But then when you become a coach, it is no longer about you. <laughs> <laughs> so that's great advice for coaches everywhere, it is. right? It's, it's no longer about you. And it, that, that is a very hard transition for elite athletes to make, not only in coaching, but any job you go to. Um, you know, when, when I first got this job, Rich asked me, he goes, so, you know, you were a professional athlete. I was an agent for a professional athlete. You know, would you go in direct traffic or do this or that if I asked you to? Because most elite athletes wouldn't. That's sure. not what they're, they're programmed to do. And I was like, Rich... I was a head D1 coach that made my own Gatorade and loaded my own tents. I think we're good. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, so it is It is a transition, and it's, it's very hard sometimes for elite athletes to make that transition. Well, and I've seen you live that out. We've had the good fortune of seeing you in our stores and, and with your athletes, including those who are showing up for the first time. And you just serve. You just do a great job of just, just giving yourself fully to those who are part of your program. So you're not just saying it. I've seen you live it. All right, Andrew, I'm going to go over to you. I'm going to take this in a slightly different direction. You have the good fortune of working with the elite athletes, but here's what I hope is is maybe oftentimes unstated, but still very, very true. And, and that is that I would imagine most coaches can say, well, they just, they have favorites. They have athletes that they just believe might have more potential or because of who they are, they're uniquely qualified perhaps for a certain level of success. Now I know nobody is always right where they think, well, this is the one and it may on occasion not be that man or woman who ends up being the, the highest achiever. But knowing that we do tend to have favorites, how do all of a sudden on occasion you might think this is the athlete who is really, really special and might do some extraordinary things for all those out there who want to be that person, perhaps for you as a coach, perhaps for a coach you don't know or none of us will ever meet, but they want to be that person who is perceived as really special and that extraordinary athlete all the coaches I'm sure want. Uh, I mean, I think the thing is, is that we tend to, at a young age, go towards the events that we're good at. And that's a, a common mistake that people make. Oh, so it, it's a, mis a mistake. Okay, great. Yeah, I so I, I, think, I think the thing that as a young athlete you want to do as somebody who's coming up is really is get comfortable being uncomfortable. So a lot of times you say, oh, well, I'm really good in the two miles, so I'm, just, I'm going to run the two mile all the time. But as a coach, I look for somebody who has range. And one of the 
primary things that we ask every athlete, whether they're a marathon runner or an 800 runner, is how fast do you run the quarter? Because if you don't have that speed, then you're going to be limited at that upper end, whether it's in the 10K or the marathon. So we really want athletes that are athletic and have that power and that speed so that they can translate that speed um, on the track, whether that's finishing speed or if pretty much an 800 is the entire thing speed. Sure. Uh, and being able to use that speed, and we can build strength, but speed is hard to develop. So. We have a, a youth team that we've just started this year, and one of the focuses that we have, we have one of our middle distance athletes, Patrick Peterson, who's the coach. And I chose him over a cross-country guy because we want to make sure that all of these athletes that are coming up uh, in our program have speed. And so we don't do a lot of mile repeats or tempos. We do a lot of 200s and 400s to really work on their speed because as they're developing as athletes, their bodies, especially as they mature, are going to either have fast twitch or slow twitch muscle fibers. And if you program your legs to run two miles and 10Ks when you're a little kid, then you're always going to be stuck with that. But if you work on that fast twitch muscle fiber, like Megan did when she was young, I'm sure, uh, then you have that when you're older too. So that's great advice, I think, for us as parents also, when it is easy for us as well to notice some kind of talent in our son or in our daughter and think, okay, we really need to kind of, if not push him in one direction, encourage him in that direction. And what you would say, and I love your term, range, give them that opportunity to develop a full range of possibilities. They're not going to be great at it all, but they're going to be better by staying somewhat committed to more than just one discipline. Yeah, definitely. And it's not, a lot of times athletes will fight you on it, but I, I had a, a, a guy that I coached in Oregon who was one of my kids that won state eventually. And he came in and, and he was good at the two mile and he always wanted to run it. And I always had a rule that you couldn't run the two mile except for at, at the, the JV championship at the end of the year. So they had to run the 1500 or the 800 uh, or a four by four early in the season. And they only got to run the the 3k I guess in Oregon at the end of the season he begged me the whole year to let him run it and I didn't let him run it and then he ran it and ran well at the end of the year he got the freshman record so he was all proud of himself well then the next year he came out and the first race I had to miss because I was at one of Amy's competitions and my assistant coach called me and said uh, Alec just ran a uh, 50 second 400 and I was like did you mean to say Alex because we had a, a guy named Alex that was pretty good in the 400 and she said no no Alec and this is that two-mile kid. I made him run the 4x4. Four four. He was really ticked off, but then he went out and ran 50 seconds. So we totally switched his focus. He ended up being the 800-meter state champion uh, two times in Oregon and then went to the University of Oregon to, to run there. So it's, you just don't want to close that door because that you just never know what event you're going to be good at. Well, and, and remember that we started this question about, well, what makes an athlete, perhaps especially to a coach, really special or perhaps even extraordinary? And, and you mentioned, Andrew, your state champion in Oregon. I found this fascinating. And for those of you who are like, well, I don't have someone at home or this isn't my season of life, how applicable this is. One of your state champions, as you said, Oregon, also in Louisiana, mm -hmm. also in Indiana. So if you have someone who you know, maybe it's a nephew, maybe it's a son or daughter of a friend who lives well, well, well outside of Atlanta, share this episode. And if nothing else, go back and listen to Andrew's advice because that apparently works anywhere, whether it's far on the West Coast as it was with Alec, or whether it's all the way back here closer to the bayou like it did when you had a state champion in Louisiana. Mm -hmm. 
That's awesome. All right, Megan, we're coming to you. Obviously, Andrew referenced you and said an athlete like Megan. So let's think about what you're doing now. And, and obviously, you've had a lot of success. I'm sure there have been some times when you thought, well, maybe it didn't go my way, but you just stuck with it. You kept after it and you continued to say, well, I'm going to continue to pursue what I believe is kind of my own workplace and, and where I believe I'm gifted enough to keep going and find success. When you think about all of the coaches you've had, when you think about some of those pinnacles of your career thus far, for someone who is listening right now, perhaps, and thinking, well, I wonder if my coach is a good coach, or perhaps is that coach, even if he or she's a good person, is he or she a good coach for me and who I am as an individual? What would you say might help them determine whether that's the case or what should they be, they be thinking about when they're thinking about who should be coaching them? Um, so in my experiences with my previous coaches that I've had throughout college and post-collegiately, I think the common trait amongst all of them was just being able to approach them, whether it came to talking about training or um, competition strategies, but just to be able to have that openness in communication, like first and foremost, just because you want to be able to know that no matter what you can come to your coach about some concerns you're having or just your goals in general. So to have that um, openness and approachability from athlete to coach is, I think, super important. Okay. Especially when you're just starting out. You know, running sometimes isn't as simple as, as we want it to be. So we, we kind of need that guidance and that support to break down the com like the complexities of it, um, especially as you're kind of increasing in your levels, whether it's you're just starting out like couch 5K or if you're at the post-collegiate level. Um, but you just want to be able to have that relationship where you can come to them about anything. I mean, obviously, you're mostly going to talk about running and, and what you need to do to get to where you want to be. But I think what I've noticed throughout my years of, of running and, and having all these different and awesome coaches is that I could always feel like I could just talk to them and I can just like knock on their door and come to them with anything that was worrying me or that maybe it was talking about the race plan of, of the meet that weekend. Um, but just generally being able to just have a very open and comfortable discussion. Mm -hmm. So I think the two things that you really unpacked for us, obviously the approachability and then that open communication. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit because it sounds like you've had the good fortune of really having a history of good coaches and relationships on that coaching side that have been meaningful to you. The way I'm going to put you, everybody loves stories. <laughs> think back and you, maybe in many, many years from now when you're no longer on the circuit and running professionally, what's an incident or a story or perhaps even a comment or some kind of encouragement that you'll never forget and just shows exactly what you're talking about when it comes to how special and how important a coach-athlete relationship can be? Uh, so that's a really good question, Mike. It's, it's definitely something that I would have to, you know, really think back. But if, if there was a certain feeling that I would associate um, with just kind of a, a coach memory, it was really when I transitioned out of high school to collegiate running. Okay. And I imagine that's a difficult transition in itself, one that I know nothing about. 
Mm, especially where it's just like I went to a very small private school of 200 students and my graduating class was 54 of us. So then all of a sudden... Fayetteville, was, Georgia? Yeah. Native, all right, yeah. good, excellent. Um, so I was being recruited um, by the coach at UGA and, you know, UGA, it's like 30,000 at least for like undergrad and to be able to connect with that coach at the time um, that was recruiting me, his name was Coach Pig. Um, that was a, a huge step for me, but he just had a way of making me feel really comfortable in that decision. And at that point, it was even before I got there where I, I felt that trust. Um, and I think having that once I, you know, was able to, to go to UGA was like really important before I even got there. And so it's just that feeling where you just have that energy with the coach and you already know that it's, it's going to like lead to something really good. Mm -hmm. You just don't really know what's going to happen. It's just taking that huge leap. So I think that stood out to me because that was the first time I, I really took a huge leap for running because doing it in high school is just almost like from a social standpoint to start out with. And then all of a sudden things just were kind of clicking and next thing you just keep on doing it and you keep on doing it because you're having fun and then it leads to bigger opportunities and you kind of just go with it. So I think that was a landmark moment for me in my running career just because it was this coach who, like, I didn't really know, but, like, from the interactions we had alone, it was just enough for me to be like, okay, like, maybe this collegiate running thing could go somewhere because there's this guy that seems to know what he's talking about and has all this, like, really great energy, and I guess I can see what happens. You know, it's it's kind of letting go of any fears or, or worries and just putting your trust in, in one person. And so once that started, that's kind of when you develop that with other coaches, just because you know the success you've had with it before, because you're trusting someone like completely. So I think that's, it's undeniable to be great advice from a coach with an athlete. I think it actually has application well beyond that. Because what I think I heard you say is that there was this, whether they were seeking where maybe where is some uneasiness or whether they just sensed it. And Coach Pig is like, well, coming from a smaller community, coming into a big environment, coming from a place where you've obviously had tremendous success to a little bit of the unknown. I think for all of us, whether we're coaches or supervisors, whether we're parents or employers, whether we're friends or whether we're just mentors or influences, to be able to be proactive like that coach was, to seek out and sense where that uneasiness might exist and then just address it and be able to say, hey, look, here's what we're thinking together. Let's go out and do some things so that we can conquer it, so that you'll feel right at home. Mm, and kind of tying back to when you were talking to Amy about seeing the potential or, or what stands out um, to our coaches like as an athlete or like, what is it that makes that athlete special? Mm -hmm. So with all the coaches I've had, I think that what they shared was seeing potential in me that I didn't really see yet. Um, Excellent. And, you know, they just have that vision. They've had years of experience, different athletes, countless success stories. So then for them to be able to see you in that lens and you like living your life in that moment, like not really being able to see where that vision is coming from, it's kind of just being able to like let them do their thing and you do yours and then you create that relationship. So really it's been just about connecting with all these different coaches and letting them see me as an athlete for, 
for where they believe I can be um, and trying to like meet them halfway throughout our like time together. That's awesome. Kind of casting that vision together. You see what they had seen and now you kind of go after it together. That is, that is very cool. Now I have a question for all y'all. I'm going to let each one of you take a crack at it. And here's what we know in all of you as elite athletes. So you've been down that road. Now you've kind of crossed the bridge. You get the good fortune of working with these elite cat coaches. You get the good fortune of not having had your elite athlete days that far in the rear view. And, and we just think, and you mentioned it earlier, Andrew, you said you just have to get comfortable with doing what is is uncomfortable. And I would imagine that that's the case with any kind of success and perhaps sometimes in just trying to maximize potential. And what I think I can say with full confidence is we've all seen times when the fullest of potential was achieved, but it didn't necessarily come with all the accolades, with the bronze medal or with the NCAA championships or with the status of becoming an Olympian but the fullest of potential was realized. And I think we've also always seen people who end up getting the accolades. They end up in that first position. They end up at the top of the podium. And yet by the time they walk away from that competition or maybe even from their career, we're not so sure they ever really achieved what they were fully capable of achieving. So when we think about these people that you guys, you guys see, how do we ensure that we achieve the fullest of our potential. Because I think it has application to Dave and I on our own leadership team in a completely different arena of life. I think it has application as parents, as students. Potential is potential. How do we achieve the fullest of what we're capable of? Amy, can I start with you again? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a tough one. I think the thing that we're starting to find is um, athletes may have a ton of potential, but they they're lacking a few different things. And there's okay. some things I think that are teachable and there are some things that I think are just inherent. Okay. Um, you know, their raw speed is going to be there. The strength you can build up and give it to them if they have the patience to do it. Um, but the, I guess the fight, they have okay. to want it. They have to want it more than you want it for them. I think that's the hardest thing for coaches. Um, that's not teachable. <laughs> I thought it might be, but we've decided that is not a teachable thing. Okay. They either have to want it or they don't. And I think I think the people that fulfill their potential are the ones that have that fight and want it bad enough. If they don't want it bad enough and they can't give themselves a reason to do it, they're never going to reach their full potential. So oftentimes we hear the phrase, stay hungry. Mm-hmm. Is it a hunger thing? Is it where they just have to be kind of perennially hungry? A little bit. I think it's it's a little bit they want to either be the best of where they are or they have this goal in mind and they are relentlessly pursuing it. Mm-hmm. Um, going through the motions is a thing that everybody does and you have to get them out of that going through the motions. Um, they have to be in the moment and wanting to go for it. So it's a little bit staying hungry, but it's also staying hungry for the right reasons. Um, you know, we athletes sometimes stay in it because it's their stopgap. They don't know what else to do. Um, and those are the athletes sometimes that don't pursue, they don't continue in the sport and they don't fulfill their potential because as you know, women usually get better as they age, okay. but a lot of women don't stay in it long enough. Mm. So sometimes it becomes a numbers game, it becomes patience. Um, the men, it's, they peak a little bit younger. Um, so they need to probably stay hungrier, a little more intense at younger, okay. but the women need to have a little bit more patience. <laughs> um, and stay in it until they probably fully reach their potential. 
Excellent. I was actually not aware of that. That's that's fascinating. And when I think about achieving potential, and you mentioned it, where sometimes they want to be the best in the competition, and then sometimes, and Andrew, maybe you can speak to this, how do they also become the best they can be? Where they may have been the best in the competition long before the competition ever started. But now it's not so much about the gold medal or the blue ribbon. It's about bettering themselves time in and time again. How do they become the best they can be. And, and that's a difficult thing. I think sometimes you see athletes on, on the elite level that were state champions or even uh, top of the, of the NCAA level, and then they have to figure out what makes them tick when they can't win the competition anymore. Because there's a lot of people who are in that position mm-hmm. in high school or in, on the NCAA level. And you really have to be self-driven. And you have to find those daily goals that you can have. Because if you just have the one goal of, I want to win the gold medal, then there's only one person that can win that that gold medal. So there are going to be a lot of disappointed people if that's the only goal that's out there. So you really have to have, you have to break it down. And I I experienced that when I went to Arkansas because I was a state champion and I had won everything in Indiana. And when I went to college, I couldn't even be the first person on my team because it was a really good team. And so I had to start, instead of looking at like, I want to win this race or win that race, I had to look at, okay, what I want to finish in this part of the race, but I need something to check in day to day. And so I started setting more intermediate and day to day goals. And so that might be, I need to make sure I get eight hours of sleep every night. That might be, I want to set a personal best in in my, for my intervals uh, on Tuesday or on Friday. And it's really finding those those things that can keep you moving every day without having that big goal at the end. You can have it there in the distance and look at it, but you've got to stay consistent. And and I think that's the the big thing, kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum from what Amy talked about, is it's great to have that that uh, that hunger, that desire, but consistency is more important. Mm. And you can't, you know, when they say give 110%, if you give 110%, you're going to have to pay back that 10% at some point. And that's when you miss a week or, or two of training. And so it's really getting to that 100% and training at that 100% as much as you can, but taking the time to recover and and give yourself some time to reload so that you can continue to do it. Because if you try to bite off more than you can chew, eventually it's going to come back. And so it's really just being consistent, setting goals that are realistic so you can continue day in and day out to hit those little goals and build towards those intermediate goals. And then hopefully you get as close to that ultimate goal as you can. Well, I love the fact that you said self-driven and and given your experience as a coach, obviously your own experience as an elite athlete, there has to be some of that self-drive. I think there are too many times where somebody, whether it's a parent or somebody who's very well-intentioned, just kind of drops you off, puts them in your lap or says, okay, well, Amy is an Olympian. I'm sure from here on, everything will just go the way that I kind of think about it going. It doesn't work that way. There has to be a level of accountability that can only come from someone who is self-driven. How do you spot that? What, do you, what are some tactical things that maybe a young athlete or someone who's not even in this space but wants to get the most out of their life? It's at work. It's in their family. It's at home. What are some of the tactical things you believe make those people who they are? I think from, from my perspective as an elite coach, and I think you can apply it to a lot of different areas is just sitting down with somebody and asking what their goals are because if they if they do they have them yeah do they have, have they them written them down they? yeah do yeah. they know how to specify what it is at this time and how long it will take yeah and then and then i think 
uh, I think a lot of times on the elite side of things is there's this, you know, they, and you see this a lot with little kids, like they're good at it. So they do it right. Mm -hmm. And maybe it makes mom or dad happy to see the success. And so they, they do it because, but it's not necessarily from within. So when you sit down and talk to them and ask them what their goals are, if they're talking about, well, you know, mom and dad really want to see me do this, or, uh, you know, I want to, I want to go to a college or whatnot. And, and that's their goal. That's not a self-driven goal. Mm -hmm. It's when they say, I really want to do this. And I think that's the, the, the first key. And then I think the, the second part is you take the reward off the table and see if it's still worth it. So from an elite side, one of the things that's important to us is if we say, okay, you know, Atlanta Track Club no longer is going to support elite athletes. Um, Mizuno is no longer going to sign contracts for athletes. Do you still want to pursue that goal? And if they say, not really, then that's not a self-driven goal. That's some mm. extrinsic factor that's keeping them moving and not that inner desire that Amy talks about. So I think you just kind of have to talk as Megan said, you have that conversation, you talk, you have to have that good line of communication from athlete to coach and from coach to athlete. And that's one of the things that we've really learned and are learning every year as we go in trying to spot that talent is having those conversations and really figuring out where are those goals uh, coming from and is there that, that deep-rooted desire to go for them. So let's talk to that talent. We have it right here in the room. And we just use the phrase self-driven. What drives you, Megan? Man, it's like a nice loaded question. Yes, I know. <laughs> That's the way it works is we, you know, kind of go around the table and then all the fully loaded questions that we haven't yet, they go in your direction. Yeah, yeah. But knowing that, that, that you are that athlete and all the, whether they're young men and women or whether they're people who are still wondering, have I found what I should be doing? I want to hear what it is that just drives you. I mean, this is not the easiest thing to do. You do exactly what Andrew said day in and day out, and that is try to get comfortable with being really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. There has to be more than just, well, I can tolerate or suffer through another day. There's more to it than just kind of willing yourself to get out of bed. What is it? What does that feel and sound like? I think that feeling just comes from a place of, you know, let's say you run collegiately and you either did achieve the goals that you set out for yourself from the very beginning or they kind of built themselves up as you were going and then you kind of could check them off but then college is over and then you're you're there and you're like am I really done with running like because I don't think running is done with me so you kind of keep on keep on pushing like your your limits and the barriers and just seeing how far you can get to achieve like your fullest potential because no matter what we're doing we always want to be able to see that potential and you know see it out fully and so with that I just think it's that desire inside to just be able to do everything that you can in in your you know like just being able to do everything possible as an athlete um, to see to see it out you know to just really end your day or end your career thinking, well, I tried everything I possibly could, you know, I did this, this and that, or just being able to answer that question, did I, did I achieve this goal or, you know, am I seeing out everything that I could as like an athlete and to be able to close that chapter without any regrets or, or looking back, um, 
So I think it's that moment where I can just stop and not have any more questions about what I could have been as a track athlete. So with that, it's just, it, it is being self-driven for sure because there are definitely some days that are a lot harder than others and you have to pick yourself back up. Um, but it's just evaluating how much you love the sport. So, I mean, I'm realizing that I really do love it and the thought of kind of closing the career and ending this chapter anytime soon doesn't sit right with me. Mm -hmm. And so I think when it gets to the day where I've just exhausted like all opportunities and even my body is like fighting me, like you need to, you need to stop, you know, um, when all these factors are kind of just battling, like, I think that's when I can just move on. Um, so I think that's where it comes from. If, if you kind of got an answer from, well, and you use the word, you use the word everything quite a few times in that answer. And everything is a lot of things, right? I mean, it's easy to say, well, did I commit to a training program and go out and run the daily mileage, weekly mileage, monthly mileage, whatever it might've been, and then give myself the check mark. But for you, I know, and it's not unique to an elite athlete, it's also what you're eating. It's also how you're sleeping. It's also what you're consuming. It is so much. And when you say everything, it really is everything. And then on those instances where you can say, I was the best I could have possibly been. It's not just because I ran as hard as I could in this race on this day. When you say, this is my guess, Megan, you let me know. When you say, I did the best I could, it was the culmination of the last three months or perhaps three years where you made the workouts. You were mindful of what you were eating and you were drinking. You were mindful of when you went to sleep. You were mindful of the relationships you had. You were mindful of the way you could spend your free time. That's everything. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, and uh, yeah, definitely. And the crazy part is it's like there's always something that you can fine-tune. So it will drive you a little nuts to really like self-evaluate and think about your routine and what you're doing, how much sleep you're having, nutrition, like the list just goes on and on. And so that's kind of why part of it is, is daunting and exciting all at the same time, because I know that I can do better with everything, you know, that word and it's, I can do better. Um, so it's daunting because it's like, it's committing to how many months or years it will take to fine tune and realize maybe I'm not doing everything right. And you know, when is it going to be that perfect moment where all of that aligns? And so it's, it's just really the self-driving aspect of committing to your timeline and however long or short that could be. It's like, maybe there have been times where I just wanted to quit that summer or just, you know, move on to something new or just start a new chapter in my life and get past the, the running chapter. Mm -hmm. um, but that was a thought that was more so in passing because of what just happened or it was very situational. And so I think that, like, if I can get past that, then, you know, then I can be able to have this relationship with running where it's like, self-motivated and excited, but continue the excitement more so like it's a daunting thing. Well, and the fine tuning should be fun. And I think you gave us good advice there where it's so easy for all of us to make a really rash decision about anything and be like, that's it. 
I'm changing courses. I'm going to go in a different direction. But like you just said, no, no, no. Most of the time, after I've had a good night's sleep or I settle down, I realize I love this too much. I'm on the right path. I'm moving ahead. There are a lot of listeners. I'm going to put the two of you on the spot now. There are a lot of listeners out there. They're like Amy and Andrew. They're married. They've trained at an elite level, probably together. Mm-hmm. Essentially, you're working together. You both come in here donned in the beautiful Atlanta Track Club red with the coaching monikers. So you do so much and have done for quite some time now, so much together. Mm-hmm. Just from a relational perspective, how do the two of you make it work? And what coaching would you give to D2 and I that we can take into the relationships that are important to us? Well, we've been together for 22 years, so we, we've figured things out along the way. Um, he coached me a little bit in high school. He coached me for six years after college. And then he coached me a few my last two years of professional running, and then we've coached together most of the time. Um, we both have our strengths and weaknesses, and so we both go for our strengths and let the other one do um, the other thing that they're good at because if we both try to do everything, we end up stepping all over each other and, and dividing things <laughs> up. And what we're good at and what we're not has, has definitely worked. Um, it was a little bit, when he was coaching me, switching that role to then being partners in training and coaching is a little bit different. But what's your take on that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I there's a little, there's a learning curve for sure. I, I think when when I was coaching her and she was now now I have to you didn't mention whether this was the case. So you're gonna be like, man, this is salacious journalism. Oh no! You know, shut the mic off. We're gonna go back to talking about doing splits and let Megan answer all the questions. <laughs> when you were coaching her, were you also seeing her? Uh, so we they gotta look at each other well, since this yeah. is not uh, it's going back. So we well, started dating in well, high we, school. We were born okay. in the same town. Yeah. Tiny town, and then I moved 26 miles down the road. Nice marathon training run. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, we, they did not have a middle school girls program, so I had to run on the boys team. Okay. So we raced each other in middle school, and he remembers me more than I remember him. It's probably hard to forget the only girl that races on the boys <laughs> teams. Um, and I never beat him. We like to say that. I never beat him in middle school. Um, and then we knew of each other. And then did we, were we dating when you started coaching me? Uh, no. So we okay. started dating and then we, I went to Wisconsin. Uh, so we started dating right after I graduated. So she still had a year. And then um, I went to Wisconsin and her high school coach wasn't really a running coach, more a football okay. coach. And so her dad actually asked if I would coach her. And uh, I said yes. So I, I started coaching her then. Um, and then that was only for a year and then she went to college and had a different, you know, she had her college coach there. And then after college, we made the decision to have me coach her again. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it was, I think it was harder then because in a relationship, you try to be equals, but then there's that coach part and you're in, in that aspect, you're not equal. Um, so we really tried to separate it when I was coaching her and the, Amy and Andrew at home were different than the Amy and Andrew at the track. And we okay. tried to leave things at the track. So there's um, good relational advice for all of us, right? When you're working together or perhaps when you have parts of your life that you just do together, mm-hmm. you don't have to thread it through every moment of each day. Yeah. I was, he was better at that than me. Yeah. Sometimes she would bring it home. Against the Is that the strengths and weaknesses part? Yes. Okay. But then I think now that we work, once we became you know, equals all the time, um, then there was a, 
a change a little bit. And we had to really kind of hash out what our strengths and weaknesses were as coaches. Because for a long time, Amy was an athlete and didn't really coach. And when you start off coaching, there's a huge learning curve. And she, we didn't really know what her strengths were as a coach. Uh, we knew she was a people person and she's good at motivating people, but we knew there was more to it than that. Mm-hmm. And so we've had to, over the last few years, really develop the aspects that she's really strong in the areas where I'm weak and then vice versa and try to figure out how we pair that together to make it work. Because we could, so I write a lot of the workouts. Uh, she could do it. And if I wrote the workouts and she wrote the workouts, there would be maybe 5% different, uh, you know, because we believe the same things, luckily. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't make sense because I can do it a lot faster than she can. And my, I have, I can keep 70 people in my head all at once and kind of remember like, Oh yeah, so-and-so's knee hurts. This person's Achilles hurts. This person's traveling out of town this week and keeping all that straight. It would take, she could do it, but it would take her a lot longer. So I do that part, but then I hate making phone calls. So Amy does all of that part and she does a lot of the race prep and the mental prep and that kind of thing. Because again, I could do it, but she's a lot better at it than I am. So we really have divided and conquered, and that's helped us. And it, it wasn't smooth in the beginning. There were some bumps along the way, uh, but we've really, I think we've hit our stride now and we really have a good system that works really well for, for us. That's awesome. And you can't see them. They're nodding. So they're both in full agreement. And for all of us in relationships where we might not yet be in our stride, we now have confidence that it might come. Before I let you all go, really quickly, what are you working on now? What is 2018 hold? What are some of the exciting prospects? You know what, Megan, I'm going to start with you this time and then we'll dump a really hard question in Amy's lap to finish off. What what, what do you think about this year? What's, what's uh, really holding your attention right now? Uh, U.S. Championships this summer. Awesome. In Des Moines, Iowa. That place surprisingly has a, a place in my heart. Okay. A very special place in my heart because that's where I ran my injured PR in college, mm-hmm. uh, which is still my PR today. Wow, okay. <laughs> so going back for a little more and perhaps a new so. PR. Awesome. Yeah. Very, very cool. So we'll obviously be staying in touch with you on that as we get towards this summer. Andrew, what about you? Um, we have a lot of exciting things on the elite side. Uh, our guys just set the world record. Unfortunately, we got beat, so we don't have the world record in the 4 by 8 But So our, our guys team has really come into its own, and we have a really strong middle distance group, and we have some, you know, we have several marathoners that have qualified for the Olympic trials. So my big focus this year is to help all of those athletes that we currently have, as many as possible, get into the U.S. championships in Iowa. But then also, we're really trying to help uh, complement Megan's talent by bringing in um, an equally good um, girls group. So we're Excellent. really recruiting really hard this year to try to bring in four or five um, people that you know are of similar similar talents to Megan. So she has some people to run with because I know it probably it probably she probably gets a little jealous some days seeing the group of you know seven or eight guys training together and she has a much smaller group and we're really working to expand that this year. So this summer we're all going to be working very hard to try to recruit that women's team so we really balance it out and we can. Uh, see a path forward for 2020 and reaching our goal of getting two people in the Olympics. That's awesome. When we come back from the break, I'll read some of the accomplishments that your team has had. And Megan, you know, don't feel like you can't call Dave and I if you really need some high caliber (laughs) training partners before that women's team comes together. Amy, how about you? I know we have the good fortune of seeing you almost on a monthly basis. What is keeping you busy between now and the end of the year? Well, we just finished up the Olympic marathon bid. Uh, hopefully that will come through. They're actually going to give us the answer in April. 
Awesome. So that's an exciting uh, on the edge of your seat. Yes, very cool. So for those who do not know, the Olympic Marathon Trials, mm -hmm. the city of Atlanta is one of the finalists for being awarded. And now Amy has shared with us, for those who did not know, that it will be April that we'll find out where that will be held. So very cool. Yes, fingers crossed indeed. And so we're excited for that. We're also always adding to our training programs and figuring out um, what's going to be the best product and getting our pretty much the community across the finish line. Well, and she talks about it as a product. It is a great product for those of you who are not already aware of the depth, the breadth, and the scope of the in-training for Peachtree training program, please do visit atlantatrackclub.org. Not only can you learn more about that training program and just how welcoming and wide-ranging it is for athletes of every ability, you can find more information about Amy, about Andrew, about Megan, and all of her teammates. Each of you are truly a gift to this community and to, I know, our organization. So thank you very much for everything that you've done and for spending some time with us today. Thanks for having Thank us. Yeah. And we'll be right back after this short break. Fall may seem like it's a couple months away, but training for fall races starts now. As your runs get longer, you'll need additional fuel to power through those long runs and get you across that finish line. Everyone has different needs and tastes, so we recommend that you experiment with different gels, bars, and hydration products to see what works best for you. Stock up and save. Buy 10 or more individual packages and save 10%. Buy a box and save 15%. Club and training groups can combine their discount for additional savings of up to 25% off. Don't be foolish. Come into Big Peach Running Company and stock up so you're long run ready. And welcome back to the Run ATL podcast. On this side of the break, we are going to punctuate what we learned when we had those special guests with us, D2, and yet that may not be as widely known as I think it needs to be because of the work that Andrew and Amy and the Atlanta Track Club really in its entirety is doing. We are putting together a really, really, really good elite running community and a heck of a team at the Atlanta Track Club. Well, yeah, I mean, with, you know, with the mission that the Track Club has, not only to, you know, to help and, and, and bring together the Atlanta running community and to inspire more people to be active, but the other mission is to get an Atlantan to the Olympics. And then you have the Olympic trials that they're putting the bid in. I mean, I think this just makes Atlanta just that much more exciting. It, it does. And you heard them reference those two items for sure. You may not know that there are already five members of the Atlanta Track Club elite team who have qualified for the Olympic trials. In addition, it is early in 2018. We are barely but a few months into some of us who had New Year's resolutions. These are some of the things that are happening with the work that the Atlanta Track Club and their elite team are doing over in Birmingham. First month of the year, their men's team swept the men's 800. That means they were first, second, and third, they also had the same type of results in Clemson, South Carolina in January. In fact, Megan, who was just here, our superstar, was first in the 1,000 meter with two of her teammates finishing right behind her to be second and third. There is a gentleman by the name of Brendan Hazuri, part of the Atlanta Track Club elite team. He won the mile event and get this D2, just 4.02, four minutes and two seconds at the Clemson 
opener and part of that marathon magic took place in December. Five people in total for the track club, three of them qualified out in Sacramento. So it's been quite a year already, all that hard work paying off, and certainly the investment that the Atlanta Track Club has made in getting our people here in the city to the Olympics. The other thing that just has to be said, you think about training people like you and I. You think about people who are just coming into the sport. Amy is now dedicating so much of her time to that. You are an alumni of the in-training for Peachtree program. What would you say to somebody who may not have said right away, I heard an Olympian tell me I should do it, or now I have some reason to think about it. You're probably more like our listeners than what these three elite athletes were. Well, I think prior to, um, to actually being part of the training program, um, you know, I was probably the individual, much like many of our listeners and maybe others that are, you know, interested in running and maybe don't even think of themselves as a runner who would occasionally go out, sign up for a race, do it, have a horrible time by, you know, feeling a lot of aches and pains, maybe even feeling like this running thing isn't for me. And it was, it was, and I know I felt that way. I actually gave up running for four years because I was having, you know, pains in my knees and thinking that I just had bad knees and had issues that would prevent me from running. And, you know, little did I know that, you know, I just needed to train and being consistent with it. And it was through that uh, training program and in training for Peachtree that I actually got to see some of the results and got to see some some pretty big gains in, in my running and then kept being consistent with it and saw even larger gains, um, you know, in the half marathon distance and, and able to tackle, you know, tackle on my first marathon and then do a series of other races and, and just increase the distances because I learned, you know, through a training program that, you know, what I thought that I wasn't a runner, a training program gave me the opportunity to see myself, you know, crossing that finish line and feeling like I was a runner and, and feeling uh, better and, and, and almost a different person than I was prior to the training program through being consistent through that training. That's awesome. And obviously it convinced you, it gave you the confidence. You are a walking and running testament <laughs> to the power of a great coach and a great team and a great program. Certainly Amy, Andrew, and Megan brought that to bear as well. We are going to have to say goodbye for now, D2. We'll leave everyone with the suggestion that if they do not have a coach, whether it's formally or informally, think about it. What they said today made so much sense to me. If they've not yet signed up for the AJC Peachtree Road Race or the in-training for Peachtree Program to the Atlanta Track Club, now is as good a time to do it as any. In just two weeks, we'll be back. More great content and more happiness. This is our happy time. We appreciate you spending it with us. Once again, we hope, as always, that your best miles will be those covered on foot.